You're listening to The Big Possible Show with your host, Noah Scott. It's time to break through the limits and achieve all you can imagine. All you can imagine. Hello and welcome to another episode of The Big Possible Show. Today, I am very fired up to bring you our guest on the show. Uh, Susan DiLorenzo is an author, speaker, and transformational life coach with a focus on helping people see their adversity as a lesson rather than a life sentence. She teaches self-transformation and has tools to build what the soul is calling for versus long-installed conditioning. All right. I am really excited excited to hear all about this. Susan, how are you? Hey, Noah. Great to be with you today. Feeling really well. Thank you. Fantastic. So just uh, for those of you, for those of our listeners who are out there, do you want to just share a minute and talk a little bit about who you are and, and what you do as a, as a, as a coach? Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, I'm a, a transformational life coach. I've been doing this for about seven years now. I feel like I've been actually doing it longer as someone who survived invasive breast cancer, whose marriage just uh, ended as treatment ended. So it was the school of hard knocks and a lot of realizations that we can talk about later. But this leads me to my favorite kind of client, which is somebody who wants to step out of the this happened to me story. And this is what's going to happen to me now that I have this elevated awareness around who I really am. Because adversity challenges us and strips away all the images of who we think we are and says, uh, no, you are playing a role and here's who you really are now. And it's an, um, it's an invitation that not everyone takes. Some people try to re-cobble their lives together the way they used to look and find that they're facing the same challenges again. But when we really listen to what's being pulled out of us, what's being demanded of us, um, there is a brilliant invitation to transform and actually live, and, and you mentioned a little bit about this in the intro, from your soul's calling, from the authentic you, and not the who you were told you were supposed to be. Mm. Wow, there's a lot of powerful words there, and, and that story, I'm, I'm, I'm really looking forward to hearing the story that prompted you to, to go on this journey. So um, it may or may not be the same story. But let's go ahead and dive in with the story about a time that you went against the odds and embraced that uh, challenge and it came out the other side. Thank you. Well, I am going to pick that story because it just was like switching on a light switch for me. And I didn't know I was sitting in the dark (laughs) until um, I was diagnosed with cancer. I was a 38-year-old mom of an 18-month-old boy. I was married and I was dancing as fast as I could with this old house and a commuter rail job in the city to sit in a corporate cubicle for eight hours a day and just kept wondering how much longer do I have to do this? Oh, I guess this is the form of success everybody talks about and was in all the magazines of having the career, having... um, you know, the house and the nice things and uh, the, the children. And, and it was just the model I grew up with also outside of adding a full-time job to it and that this was supposed to be the good life, but I was so unhappy. And I even um, wouldn't have admitted it to myself in a marriage because I guess 
I just thought it was the best I could do. I did not have a high um, self-esteem at the time. Mm-hmm. So um, here I go in for a, what would be a just a routine mammogram, and I'm called back in three times to keep getting films. And um, I'm told, okay, it, it could be cancer. And I just fall apart because my mother had breast cancer also. And I thought, oh, I don't even look like my mother. How could I have breast cancer? Yeah, we're here of uh, genetics. So uh, <laughs> I, um, I found out after all the panic that that was zero stage. And I went back for a checkup. And they did a routine exam of my other breast and said, has anybody talked to you about this lump in your right breast? And that was the one that took me down the rabbit hole of invasive cancer and a mastectomy and chemotherapy and radiation. Many people will recognize what I'm talking about. There are quite a few people out there who have had this situation. And it made me drop the life I thought I had to have. For the next year, I had three or four surgeries and lost my hair. You know, I really could not recognize myself and couldn't be the one who I used to think I had to hold up the whole world, that there wasn't enough of me to go around, whether it be at my job, at my home. I I never put myself on the list. I was really, um, I like to say, sitting on the sidelines of my own life. So this forced me to say, okay, look, look, and and what do you want from this? Because I could have, you know, I could have, uh, I guess, just decided, oh, dear, this is it. Goodbye, cruel world, you know. But I, I at least had some basis of spirituality. And I said, okay, here's where the rubber meets the road. You're reading all these books. You're, you know, into woo-woo and, and, and light stuff, <laughs> light and love. And what about now? Where are you going to put this stuff now? If you don't believe it, you know. So I had to apply on the decision that I'm, I'm going to live and that I have everything I need to do it. I took to journaling, um, reading, um, listening to beautiful music. I just installed um, optimism where I used to just think, you know, I drew the short straw in life. So I got through it. And there was a lot of grace in it, uh, a lot of uh, love in there. Um, even um, the marriage that was about to break apart, my husband, he at the time was the guy who drove me to all the chemo and he, he stood up. You know, he was probably miserable the whole time, but he never let me know it. Um, until there was um, one session we had with couples going through cancer. And it was to support, you know, and acknowledge that the mate is going through something too. And it was in the session, one of them, that he said, I don't care if I ever have sex again. Mm-hmm. And at that moment, I couldn't deal with it. I still had four weeks of chemotherapy and I had just started doing radiation and chemo. So I was like, whoa, you know, um, you know, this does not compute, does not register until months later after the treatment was over and I was found to be cancer free. And I'm on a rocket ship of happiness being cancer free. I was starting to see all my friends taking trips. I am living my life. I am not going to be on the sidelines anymore. He um, 
there was a moment where I was, I guess, feeling energetic again. And I laid a massive kiss on him on the couch one night. And he said, that's enough Mm. and pulled away. And I went, oh, oh, yeah. And then I realized, okay, we have something to talk about here. And I was kind of didn't didn't know what to do with that. I just wanted to pretend that didn't even happen. But I came back a couple of nights later. I said, "Look, we got to work on our marriage. We get, we got to get back to where we were." But I I now look and think, okay, I am like higher than a kite, happy now, except for this part, right, where mm-hmm. I'm being shocked. He is a person with depression, and it's got to make an even bigger disparity between my happiness and his unhappiness, his battle with depression. And here's Miss Happy over here. And so he came back to me with this question, nodding his head. So I'm thinking, okay, he's, he's up for this work. And instead he says, actually, I think I need to live alone. Mm. And that was like the ball just finally dropped. And I remember saying, well, what about that little boy asleep upstairs? And he said, I already feel guilty enough. Please don't make me feel any more guilty. And I wanted to be super snarky at that moment and say, oh, geez, sorry about that. Um, But looking back now, you know, that was a huge decision for this guy. And it really was ultimately my freedom. I didn't say that at the time. I went upstairs to the bathroom and yelled at God and said, do you think I could just have a year off? (laughs) Really, that's how I felt. But I came further, further away from this because I would have stayed in this marriage. I mean, I was programmed to say, you know, for better or for worse, and we have a child, so that just locks it in. And instead, I guess I really just started to see this may be, and I wouldn't put it in these words, your ticket out of here, out of unhappiness, out of a a marriage that I had to walk all over eggshells to navigate because I never knew who I was getting from day to day. And I'd be super relieved and happy when he was in a good mood. And they'd be like, okay, don't say anything or do anything. That's going to shut that off. And do you know where I learned that from? Growing up mm-hmm. with a, a mother who had depression. And so I realized that unconsciously, I said, oh, I know how to do this. This is one of those people that you you navigate and you make happy or you don't make happy. And you want, you know, you, you dance on the head of a pin and you try to do the best you can, thinking uh, that it was some test I had to pass or, or win or lose on. And I never had to do it again once I realized that was a part I played. It wasn't necessarily my assignment. And what freedom that brought going forward. We did end up, he did, it took a year, but he ended up moving out. And I, um, didn't date right away, but I started imagining, okay, how would I choose differently for myself and what's important to me? And I never had to play that role again. I Mm -hmm. actually learned from, um, I had maybe two other big relationships until I'm married today. um, I've been with my husband for 10 years. So, um, I would not have been ready for this guy if I had just jumped from this marriage to his, to the one I'm in now. There was a lot of working on myself, having to learn how to love and accept myself and make myself priority number one. And that is actually something, Noah, that I coach a lot of clients on who are looking for a new relationship is, are you all those things for yourself first? 
Are mm-hmm. you uh, someone you trust? You know, do you have trust? Do you put yourself first? Do you shower yourself with love? You know, and, and whatever else it is for you, do you know how to have fun in your own company? Do you like your own company? Do you enjoy it? So these are all the things that I was able to pack along the way and um, really live for the first time. Mm. And, and it's scary. I, I want to point that out to the listeners. This is an easy work. Coming out of comfort zone, old patterning, it's like an undertow. It wants to keep pulling you back in. It's even body memory. Oh, you're supposed to feel sad right now. You're supposed to be afraid right now. Oh, this isn't us. Well, you know what? It, it's, it wasn't the pattern anymore. And so when you go for something that's new, it feels like a roller coaster ride. It feels like you're on a high dive. And that is where guidance and support comes in. Now, I didn't just figure out codependency on my own. Yes, I did read a book and go, wow, I see myself in that. But I did go see a therapist and I really had to work things out and then went into training to be a life coach and got trained myself. I had to learn what I'm teaching. And um, I think that is something I want to make sure people know that it's it's great to get support, even in group support, even in masterminds where you're building something and you've got other people that are maybe a few rungs up the ladder higher that can pull you up and say, hey, I see what you're doing there. I used to do that too. Let me tell you a little trick I learned, right? Yeah, absolutely. Wow. There's what a beautiful story. Thank you for, for sharing that. There's so much... Um, around this topic of self-esteem and like discovering self-esteem through hardship that I think I'd love to explore a little bit more. Um, You know, granted, we're not on my dating show, but I think the lessons that we're getting from this are so powerful that it's, it 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 transcends everything you do. Yes. It uplifts every part of our lives that this is a core, core part of our being. And there's something I heard that just blew my mind at the time. I want to say when I was first training to be a coach, you cannot outperform your self-esteem. Mm-hmm. You, you can raise your self-esteem and thereby raise your ability to reach different goals. But if you're not feeling worthy of them, if you have low expectations for your life and you say, I'll just make up something, you want to be a billionaire, you want to be... Uh, an actor on a TV show. I'm just making up wild ideas. But these wild ideas had to start somewhere. And there are people who are billionaires, who are actors on whatever show they wanted to be on. And so what makes them different than you and I? That's the other thing we do. We make Mm -hmm. the people that achieve these goals like gods. And we're these puny, puny little people that, you know, get to eat little crumbs during the day and wish and wish and hope. And so there is where the self-esteem factor comes in, the believability factor in ourselves and saying, why not me? Okay, this guy um, had started somewhere too. And and often, what do we learn about these folks? They had it worse than we did. You you hear these rags to riches stories, and that is where you see how adversity, you know, is almost the blessing that built them. They had no choice. They either had to stay where they were, which was awful. Or they had to say, no way, I'm getting out of here and I'm going there. Yeah. And what are some ways that when people are facing adversity, for example, 
one thing I like to tell myself whenever I'm in a hard time or, or even a good time is that all things really are temporary and I'll get through this. And even if I'm having a great year, even that's temporary. Yeah. Um, what, what are some of the things that you encourage your clients to when they are going through a difficult time or trauma or mm. they're at the bottom of the squat? Yes. What, what tips do you share with them? I want them first to notice that nothing, um, there's no final outcome yet. And yet we tend to go to the worst possible outcome and think we're going to worry it and solve it, right? So if I were to tell you that in your left hand, you're holding the most detrimental outcome, the, the worst. Like for me, it would be, all right, you're going to die of cancer, right? And in my right hand, you're going to live and have an amazing life. Uh, you're going to be an author. You're going to speak in public. Well, that wouldn't have even been crossing my mind at that point. So what if it was just you get to live? You get to live and you're going to be super healthy. All right. Neither of those things happened yet. And so I had to learn to put my focus on what I did want because what we focus on expands. Whatever you put your mind to is going to expand and you're going to start seeing it in your life. I'll give you an example. At one point, I wanted an like an Audi S4 and I started seeing them all over when I was driving to work, wherever I went. I'm like, oh my God, did everybody buy this car? You know. <laughs> so here's what I'm saying. What we focus on expands. And so stop looking at that left hand and start getting really clear on what's in that right hand. What does that look like? What does, for me, what would vibrant health and energy and a fit body feel like? What would I, how would I feel about myself in that body? I'd be so grateful, right? First of all, I'd be so grateful. I'd be thrilled and I'd start making some real plans, wouldn't I? <laughs> mm -hmm. And one of the books I bring up in, in a case of illness is that book by Dr. Bernie Siegel that's a classic now, Love, Medicine and Miracles. And in it, he studies the people who lived. He, there were so many statistics on, okay, let's say a person was given five years to live. And for some reason, the mind works on that and says, oh, it's five years, time's up, and they pass away. Well, there are others that say, I'm not a statistic. I don't, I'm, a, I'm an individual case. And they go and they still work on what they were working. Now, where was I? I'm going to see my grandchildren. I'm going to do this. And they're working on things as if. So that's what I invite is, first of all, the focus. Take it away from all the, it's not that we're denying the facts, by the way. The facts are real, but they don't have to dictate the entire story. We have a say in how we want to feel. And that's very much how I got myself through treatment, was reading awesome things, reading about the people who lived, um, having an awesome support group where we laughed ourselves silly. That's another thing to bring in is laughter, um, breath work, music, nature. It's about grounding into you're more than a body. You're more than what's happening to you. The other thing I loved that I learned was pulling apart the word circumstance. If you look at the word circumstance, circum is the circle, right? Stance is where we're standing in that circle. It's what we see all around us. It's our 360 of the world, but it's not who we are. We are the player on the stage of this scenario. 
And when you can take and stop identifying yourself directly as the circumstance, there's where your power lies. Mm. Yeah, very beautiful. Well, let's let's continue with that with that theme. So now that we've we've started to gain some perspective on where we are in this circumstance, we've got some uh, some habits that we're we're accumulating. Breath work. We're doing all the good stuff. What are some of the things? And this is one of my favorite parts of the show when I ask people about how they make decisions. What are some of the practical decision making frameworks or mental models that you enjoy using personally? And, and why do these hold meaning for you? For me, it's coming from the vision I have for my life. And would that woman that I may not have even been completely formed as yet, what would she be doing? How is she organizing her time? How is she spending her day? I can tell you it's not all work and no play, right? I, I must have joy in my life and I must have meaningful work to do. Those are the two big things. And then um, the values around um, family and friends and being out in the world as much as we can. And the times we're in, it's, it's kind of crazy, but we really can still find a way to live from a vision and, and not shut down until all systems are go out there. It has to be in here. So decision-making for me is it resonates from my heart. I just have this complete, um, yeah, you got to do it. Even, even when the fear kicks in up in the head, if it's like, I would love that. I would love that. If, the, if those words are coming out from my heart mm. or, or just in my body, um, it's, it's my choice. And I've got to do it. And I may not even know how yet, but I'm going to find out how. Mm. Yeah, very, very powerful. And when when you encounter something that is maybe difficult to give up or let go of, what? <laughs> how do you approach that? That is a training of the mind. I'm going to give you an example for me if this is, and you can tell me if, uh, if this is not what you had in mind, but starting in my teens, I ended up with an eating disorder. And my mother put me on diets when I was like 13. I wasn't even fat yet, but she was so afraid that I was going to be, she was um, heavy when she was young. And that ended up with um, a horrible eating disorder for 30 years where I would be, you know, yo-yo dieting. I, and then I'd binge on sugary fat food. And I used to think, okay, what is wrong with me? Why can't I follow this fabulous diet that everybody else is doing? and be wonderful, right? It's about those deep, deep built-in patterns. And this is an addictive pattern that I needed to go to an expert about. Hmm. And I went to somebody and learned emotional freedom technique, which is, if people have heard of that, that's the tapping um, on the different parts of the body, on the different meridian points of the body that release patterning. And it almost looks like, I can't, I can't even tell you why um, this, it, it does look miraculous to me, but I, I did a 12-week course, daily had to do this tapping twice a day. I was religious about it. Um, I also had to read about the damages of sugar and does to the liver. I had to go through um, the external and the internal, and then it ended with hypnosis. And after those 12 weeks, I never binged again. It doesn't mean I never overate ice cream or whatever. I never made myself sick or I never destroyed myself like that again. And so 
I want people to know when, if there's anything they can relate to getting rid of a habit they know doesn't help them move forward and it actually hurts their heart. It hurts who they, how they feel about themselves. There's nothing wrong with you. It's a pattern. That's all I can say is that you, you, yes, you have to take responsibility, like break up that word, responsibility. There's a, mm-hmm. a, the ability to respond to what is calling out in us. And that is where we have to take that extra step to say, all right, I can't do this alone. I can't just watch uh, maybe a video that says, teach me how to tap for the first time and, and be done with it. Okay, congratulations to anybody who did do that. I'm not putting that down. But yeah, let's find what we need and invest in ourselves. It's not, you know, in most cases, it's not as big as like going to college or, or these other things that many of us have invested tens of thousands of dollars to do versus the things that solve a problem that allow us to move forward in our life. Mm, beautiful, beautiful. Well, let's close it out. I think this is, we've, we've, this is just absolutely beautiful interview. I've really just enjoyed the entire thing. But if you want to leave our listeners with a recommendation for a life-changing piece of content, this could be a poem that you've read, or a, a YouTube video you've watched, or a place that you've experienced. I'm going to, I'm going to leave you with a quote from one of my favorites, Howard Thurman. And he says, don't ask what the world needs. Ask what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is more people who have come alive. Oh, I love that. That's my favorite. That's my favorite too. Beautiful. All right. So how do, how do we support you and how do, how does everyone just Fine. Yeah. I know you have a book coming out. Uh, talk about yes. That. Um, I'm writing about this title is, is a work in progress too, but it's definitely going to have gems of adversity and I'm calling it pulling the gems from adversity, uh, survivor and life coach wisdom. And I take the reader through what do you do when you're in the middle of adversity all the way to crafting a new life to advancing boldly. So that's a, a quick rundown on that. And I will, if you uh, go to my website, susandilorenzo.com, there'll be like fireworks coming out of that thing when that book is finally published. <laughs> so that, and then if you want to reach me directly, Susan at Susan DiLorenzo. I'm also um, on Facebook, Life Design Coaching with uh, Susan DiLorenzo is the name of my business. And that is facebook.com forward slash dream coach Susan, where you'll see a lot of videos that help you with um, problems around adversity also. Susan, thank you so much for sharing just your story, your insights, your wisdom. This is, this is an, this is an episode that I think people can re-listen to every thank month. You, Noah. Thank yes. you. I so enjoyed being with you. It was so easy and fun. Thank you. Yes. All right. Take care. That's it for this episode of The Big Possible Show. This is Noah Scott signing out to let you know I appreciate you for being here. Of course, if you enjoyed the episode and want to share some feedback, visit Apple and drop a review. That review will help other people find the show, and it also gives me a signal that, hey, people are out there listening. With that, may the rest of your day be filled with epic adventures. And I'll see you right here for the next episode.